0: You would turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, page 984 in your Pew Bibles. Hear God's Word. <clears throat> Since then, you have been raised with Christ. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our law will stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. Pray, Lord, that uh, the preaching of your word would be efficacious, Lord, that it would, it would not return void, Lord, and that you would accomplish the purposes that you have for it, Lord. Soften our hearts so that we might hear and know your message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, do, you, do you know why churches like our church and cons- cathedrals have such high ceilings? It's the architect's way of helping us to do what Scripture here tells us to do, to direct our view heavenward. Colossians here begins with that recognition. Christ has been raised. He sits at the right hand of God, the hand of Father's strength and power. Since Christ has been raised, and we too have been raised with him, It means our lives should have a completely different perspective. This passage tells us to set our hearts and our minds on things above, not on earthly things, and then gives us the practical standards of how we are to go about doing it. Do you know who is quoted as writing, Some people are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good? Probably you don't. Anybody? I had to look it up myself, Um, but I found out it wasn't just anybody. It was Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr. If you do research on Oliver Wendell Holmes, you will find that he was an elite poet and a contemporary of the famous poets of his age. He was also an early proponent of the likelihood that physicians were transmitting disease by their hands as they went from patient to patient. His father was a preacher and wanted Oliver to follow in his footsteps. But at one point, he he rejected the teachers at the Orthodox Andover School of Theology as being too, quote, bigoted, narrow-minded, and uncivilized. They were Calvinists. I suppose that if he went to our church, he would have said the same of us. I would propose that Oliver Wendell Holmes was so earthly-minded, he was no heavenly good. And as noble as his pursuits were, None of his accomplishments were able to raise the dead or deliver a soul from hell. I would also propose that there is no one who is truly heavenly minded that will not accomplish God's work, but also bless all they interact with in both a spiritual and physical way, even as Jesus met both spiritual and physical needs. Verse 3 gives us a proper perspective on life. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Dead men are not greedy. Dead men don't lie. They are not envious. Dead men have no agenda. When we die to our former selves, it frees us to do what is really important in life. It helps us to get our priorities right. But whereas we need to be dead to sin in our former life, our life is Christ and is hidden in Christ. I always found the WWJD bracelets a bit presumptuous. The bracelets were a reminder to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? Which at first seems to be a good guiding principle, But the reality was that most of the time, Jesus did something that surprised everyone. Talking to sinners and tax collectors and foreigners and wayward women, forgiving sin and escaping paradoxical theological traps with ease, Jesus consistently did the unexpected and the unlikely. A better question than WWJD might be, does this action Reflect my life in Christ. As a Christian, Christ is our life. Probably the most profound example of this contrast between dying and living and being hidden in Christ was from the experience of our dear brother Al Huguet. His celebration of life service was all about his glimpse of heaven and its wonders. Even though he was verbally unable to articulate what his experience of heaven was like, through Peggy, we got a peek beyond the veil of death. Al did not want to return, and he told us the next time he was staying. And while alive, his greatest desire was to convey convey the love of Christ. Al was a Christian for years, but his final days were a testimony of a man who died and whose life was hidden in Christ. I don't know about you, but the parable of the sower was always sobering for me. My biggest fear was being the seed planted among the weeds that got choked out by them. I do not want that to be me, that the worries and the cares of this world would choke me out and that I would be unfruitful. I prayed that I would not do that, that Christ would always be my first love. In America, I fear the weeds that would choke out our fruit. Fruitfulness are far greater peril than anything the courts or Washington might come up with. Colossians continues in verses 5 and 6 Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The verb necrosate used here means literally to make dead and it's a strong term it's equal to the word exterminate my recent life experience caused this command to put to death these lustful thoughts to resonate profoundly with me you see i've been restoring a house many of you know that Many people looked at this house that I've been restoring and rebuilding, and they loved it, but they chose not to buy it because it was just too much work. What was wrong with it? Lots of things, and I keep on discovering more things, but they're all related to one word, really termites. Formosan termites they had treated the house in 2016 and there were no active termites that i'm aware of in this house but they had already done their damage the floors on the entire house had been so eaten away that all they needed they all needed to be replaced and some of the sills had to be replaced as well because they'd been eaten out the only thing that saved the house was that its walls and exterior are entirely cedar and apparently Termites don't like cedar at all. Basically, at this point, I'm restoring the shell of this house because of an insect that is barely visible to the human eye. The spiritual insight that I had in light of this scripture had a profound impact on me. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, These terms focus on sexual sin and what we must do to these evil vices. We can have these sexual spiritual termites in our lives. We may think they are just little guys. We can keep them at bay. I can watch this on the internet and no one will know, no one will see. Just a little sin, a little lust of the flesh. It won't hurt me or my wife or my children, we tell ourselves. It's just a little thing. We don't see those little termites eating away at our house, but they are making inroads. Little mud tubes, they call them, as they travel and eat away at the structure of our house until one day it's too late and the inside of our house is eaten away and all we are left with is a shell. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, all white and beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they were full of death and dead man's bones. Pornography, sexual sin, and lust is a huge issue in our churches. It needs to be addressed. But more than addressed, it needs to be exterminated. I called up the Orkin man because I wanted to make sure There were no more termites that would eat up the house that I was restoring. And I like the fact that they warranted their work. If termites came back, they'd fix it. That also means that they were serious about the job of extermination. They wanted to kill all the evil little house destroyers. Because if they did not, those things would come back, and it was going to cost them dearly. Paul is telling us we need to be spiritual orkin men impurity lust evil desires greed which is all idolatry these are descriptives of sexual sin if you find yourself addicted in this area you can't pretend that you don't have a problem any more than an alcoholic can pretend he does not have a problem i guess you can but it doesn't fix anything does it eradicate it from your life exterminate it there is software that can help. Custodio, NetNanny, Watcher, Covenant Eyes. These softwares can block, monitor, and report to others who, are, who will hold you accountable. If you struggle with this, you need to stop pretending, admit your sin, and resolve to kill it before it destroys you and your family. Matthew 5, 29 and 30, which we read today states, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better than th- than that you lose one of your members than that you let your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than let your whole body go into hell. The, the Internet is not the only place that lust can be found, but it is capturing our youth in a death grip, and it needs to be exterminated. Paul reminds us that it's because of these things the wrath of God is coming. Worse than all of this is the innocents that are affected by this, children that are molested, children that are brought into prostitution and sex slavery, the drug abuse and self-abuse, the damage goes on and on. Christ died to deliver us from these things. We dare not return to them like a dog to vomit or a pig to its mire. Nor is lust the only object of the exterminator. Verses 7 through 11 go on, go on to say, You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also read yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul reminds us that we used to walk this way, but we must do so no longer. We must take off the old self and put on the new. The reference alludes to taking off old clothes and putting on new ones. I was recently talking to someone, who had been very consistent about losing weight, and as a result was rueing the fact that they had to buy new clothing because the old would no longer fit. I reminded them that it was a happy wardrobe change and that buying new clothing was a reward for a changed lifestyle. This passage is paralleling that concept. The sins of anger, rage, malice, and slander are not fitting for us any longer. We have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We wear a kingly robe that is being renewed in knowledge of its creator. Our minds and emotions are beginning to think thoughts after him. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The new man is part of a family which favors no race, nationality, class, culture, or ethnicity, it only favors Jesus because in this new family, Christ is all and in all. This passage flies in the face of the race baiters of today, does it not, who want to somehow fight racism by increasing racism and making it a central topic. Where in many places this was not an issue, they make it an issue to divide us The message we hear from secular media pulpits across the U.S. is that if you are white, you're an oppressor today. We don't deny that America had plenty of racism in its past, but we can't change the past, and we definitely can't do it by oppressing a new class of people. Scripture tells us the answer to this problem. Make no distinction between peoples and cultures. Treat everyone equally. Even slave and free people were not to be treated differently. Some might say, well, the Bible here is endorsing slavery. My answer to that is twofold. Being a bond slave was a way of getting out of debt, and people willingly entered into the arrangement as a way to pay off what is owed. Bond slavery is better than the prisons we put put people in today, where we teach many people in many cases to be meaner, and better at not getting caught the next time. Forced slavery, on the other hand, is not supported biblically, but it is still practiced today all over the world. We need to fight for those people that they can get out of the forced prostitution and forced labor that they're in. There are nations where slavery is still allowed or, or simply overlooked. If we encounter a person in such difficult circumstances, then we need to treat them without distinction and help them in every way possible. Scripture goes on to say, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. They are very like unto the fruits of the Spirit, are they not? In other words, let God's Spirit flow through you so that you can bring him glory. Compassion is defined as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. When I think of compassion, I think of the many members of our church who, when we lost all the money in our bank account um, because of the deceit of some men, those of of you who knew of it responded in many different ways to help us out. And Pastor Dean not only helped us in our need, but prayed that everything would be restored from what Satan took away. And his prayer was answered in a big way. Much like Job, who was tested and refined by the fire ordeal, he faced it and proved his faith, and it glorified God. So it is with our church, who brought glory to God in our ordeal by your gracious compassion. I have seen this type of response over and over in our church. For we turn to our new wardrobe analogy, because of weight loss, when a person loses 20, 30, 50 or more pounds, they have a new freedom to wear clothing that fits us right. We also have the freedom from all that excess weight weighing us down, like Christian who cast off the burden of sin in Pilgrim's Progress. We have a new freedom in Christ, freedom to do the right things and live the right way. We now have the Spirit-given ability to be kind and humble and gentle and patient. Bear with each other and forgive one another, even if you have a greeting, if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, it says. You know, there are people that rub us the wrong way, people that maybe are even members of this church. They say things in ways that annoy us. They do things that we think are inappropriate. The temptation is to shun and spurn such people and to slander them. Here, we are told what to do instead. Bear with each other. I found these five reasons uh, that are essential to bear t- uh, with one another from crosswalk.com by Dr. David B. Hawkins. He says, first, practicing forbearance and bearing with others is not an option. Notice the Apostle Paul doesn't simply encourage us to practice humility, gentleness, and patience, but instructs us to do so. He knew that such actions bring, it, bring about a loving, healthy community. He knew such actions reverberated and created health in ourselves and others. He tells us as Christians that these actions are an outpouring of the love of Christ within us. Second, practicing forbearance is a gift to others. Practicing humility, gentleness, and patience along with bearing with one another is a profound gift to others. Everyone can use an extra smile, an encouraging word, and a helping hand. Everyone is struggling to find their way in the world and need your love give it to them third practicing forbearance is a gift to ourselves giving these gifts enlarge, enlarges ourselves we are larger healthier better people for being tolerant forbearance puts bitterness away and creates space for love in our hearts practice these gifts and notice the impact on others and yourself fourth bearing with one another in love creates a larger more loving world we live in a world filled with attention and strife. Giving the gift of forbearance reverberates in creating a more loving world. Smiles are contagious. Patience begets more patience. Forbearance is appreciated and helps smooth times when tensions must be addressed. Finally, bearing with one another brings the blessing of God. God blesses us when we are obedient. He has instructed us to bear with one another's weaknesses, to be tolerant of those who less fortunate or hurting. We are to help those who need our help, and certainly forbearance is something all all want and need. Show kindness and forbearance to others, and notice their appreciation of you, as well as the outpouring of blessings from God. Furthermore, we are to forgive one another, even as the Lord has forgiven us. Many of us remember the parable of the unmerciful servant. We know that this servant owed 10,000 talents, and he was forgiven that great debt after he asked for mercy. Then he turned around, and the man only owed a few denarii. And he threw him into jail. And as a result of that, that man was cast into prison because of his, his, his behavior. You know, 10,000 talents is equivalent to billions of dollars. 3.5 billion is what some people say. The only people that I know that have that kind of money, you can probably their names probably just come on your lips if you just think about them. Somebody like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, come to mind, right? And from the news we have heard today on how they've treated their wives, it's still not enough to cover the debt they owe to God, is it? Yet it's so easy to tell others to forgive. The challenge is when someone has wronged us or hurt those that we love, that we find out if we practice what we preach. You know, my son had a teacher who passed away a few, day, a few years after she taught him. And from a teacher aid, we found out years later that he had, she had been excessively harsh with him and singled him out without warrant. And this had a profoundly negative impact on our son. I found myself in need of forgiving this teacher. And I did so with God's help. It is so much easier, though, to challenge others to forgiveness than to do it in your own circumstances, isn't it? Sometimes we may need to forgive people over and over again as we sometimes experience bitterness that rise up in our hearts. And you don't have to wait for others, uh, the offender, to ask for forgiveness. You need to look, no, look for Further, than Christ on the cross, who cried out on behalf of his tormentors, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. There's just something about that verse that reminds me of the Coke commercial song. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love, grow apple trees and honeybees and snow-white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world of Coke and keep it company. That's the real thing. If you go anywhere in the world, you probably have found out that Coke has done a great job of evangelizing their product. I remember going to Chiapas, Mexico, where we experienced some of the poorest indigenous people that that I've ever met. And even though they didn't have any money, they still had Coke. Coke, however, is not the real thing. It can't bring us true and lasting harmony, and it will never teach me how to sing. This passage tells us it is love that brings perfect unity. Nor is it just any kind of love. We know John Lennon was really good at telling us that love is all you need. But he certainly did not know how to practice it in his own life. No, the love that is being described here is the love of Christ. The agape love, the self-sacrificial love. This is the love that demonstrates for the world that we belong to Christ. Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. If we look at Mark 4 and remember the story of Jesus in the um, in the storm, I'm going to go ahead and read that passage from Mark 4, verses 35 through 31. It states, Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Peace. Be still. Jesus spoke three words. Peace. Be still. The wind obeyed him. The waves obeyed him. And the fearful, troubled souls in the boat with him experienced Christ's perfect peace. This is a command, which means it's something we are capable of. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, the passage says. I looked up the definition of let. It seems like a simple, simple word, really. Three, three letters that can accomplish so much. It means not to prevent or forbid, to allow. This means we have a degree of control over the amount of peace that we have in our life. It has everything to do with abiding in Christ, simply allowing the Spirit of the living God to flow through us. How can we have anything but peace when we are a conduit of God's Spirit? When you are in the midst of the storm, you can be calm. When you fear for your life, you can have peace. There is yet another let in this passage. We are told to let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I went out of my way to ask that we sang a psalm, a hymn, and a spiritual song. Did we actually accomplish that goal, Dirk? I don't know. <laughs> That's why, why, why I wanted to do it, though. Um, we can't do that if we're not at peace. We can't do that if all we do is work and watch Netflix or YouTube. We can't do that if we have no gratitude in our hearts, if we are a thankless people. We need to slow down enough to let the message of the goodness of God to take root in our hearts. Finally, we have one further admonition. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus helps us to have a proper view of everything we do. Notice the command is word or deed. What we say with our lips and what we do with our bodies should all be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. That precludes some activities which are clearly sinful. You can't sell drugs in the name of the Lord Jesus. You can't cheat on your taxes in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you can't do it in Jesus' name, then you shouldn't do it at all. When we do an activity that the Lord can bless, then we need to do it in Jesus' name. This is both a testimony and a witness. For thanking God while we do some work in Jesus' name, people can begin to see that Christ is transforming our lives. And it all brings glory to God. Verses 23 and 24, 24 further develop this concept. It states, whatever you do, with, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Many times the work we do seems pretty thankless. Maybe we feel like our boss does not treat us right. If we truly understand this passage, we can know that we work for the best boss ever, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of a story of a stewardess on United Airlines that uh, this particular evangelist was telling me about. And he was saying how um, the plane had been delayed and there was a passenger that was being served free drinks. And as he had more and more alcohol, he got more and more obnoxious and he directed all of his anger and frustration on this one stewardess. And this stewardess was the picture of graciousness and mercy and she never answered him uh, badly or anything like that and so the guy was so impressed with her behavior that that after uh, everybody departed from the from the plane after they had arrived at their destination that he approached her and he said I'd, I'd like to get your name so i can tell united airlines what a fine job you're doing and she said i don't work for united, united airlines i work for jesus christ And that is the testimony that we'd all like to be able to say. In closing, Colossians 3 gives us a solid framework to organize and direct our lives. We are to exterminate sexual sin and indulgence. We are to remove the old clothing that is no longer fitting for a person who has died to sin and lived for Christ. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, we are to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Nancy Reagan launched a campaign against drug usage with the slogan, Just Say No to Drugs. It's not enough to just say no to wrong. You must say yes to what is right. We need to say yes to forgiveness, to forbear with one another, to live in harmony established by the love of Christ. These things are not just what we do in Christ. It is who we are in Christ. Christ is our life. What we do, how we adorn ourselves with the gospel should testify to the world that we died and our life is now hidden in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we um, have a colossal task ahead of us, Lord, one that we are physically incapable of, Lord, but thankfully you have sent us your spirit, Lord, the spirit that gives us the power to have peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the things that, are, that there is no law against. So Lord, we ask that your Spirit would indwell our lives in such a way that we would bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.